we're having an exodus. <laughs> I knew I knew sometimes when I speak people feel like leaving. Praise the Lord, it's good to be here at Tri-County. It's been a long time since I was here last. The last time I was here, you were under construction yet. And I walked up over here with a cane, I believe, uh, and give a short testimony. Uh, Where's Suzanne, anyway? You know, Ted and Suzanne... Uh, I think it was about, I can't remember, probably about 15 years ago. Uh, Brenda and Eric were living in a trailer. And uh, I came down to speak for uh, the church on the hill at that time. And uh, they were gone. They had gone away on vacation another time. And... uh, they opened up their house to me. Just said, go in and make yourself to home. And give us a place to stay. And, uh, you know, there's very few people that are like Ted and uh, Suzanne. Amen? Amen. Yeah, give my hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good. Um, I want to start by, if you'll go over to Revelation for a minute. Uh, This has nothing to do with what I'm going to share with you, but it has everything to do with, with our spirit. In Revelation chapter 12, says there was war in heaven and Michael and his angels, verse 7, found, uh, fought against the uh, dragon and the dragon fought his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven and the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of the brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. I'd like you to stand with me, if you would, please. And I'd like you to say to a few people around you, I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. I have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. 
I'm an overcomer. Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. How many of you really believe that, that you're overcomers? Hallelujah. Well, you know, I have been through some terrible things this last couple of years. And uh, if you'll turn to James, turn to James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. We were talking, or singing about it. Uh, you can only imagine what it's going to be like when you stand before Jesus. Will you fall down? Will you worship? Uh, it was all in that song. But first of all, I want to be able to stand before Jesus. I want to be able to bow before Jesus. I want to be entire, wanting nothing. How about you? And uh, we have to go through some things to perfect us. Uh, it's not always easy. We live in a troubled world today. Uh, as the prayer was given this morning for Jerusalem and, and uh, the Sudan and uh, these different troubled areas, there is trouble in the world. But we are overcomers. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. I believe that with all my heart. I believe we are more than conquerors. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to look into your word and to hear what the Spirit is saying to us this morning. God, I know that you want to encourage your people. You want to enthuse them. You want to stir up within them uh, that which would be profitable for the kingdom. God, we have this ability within us to overcome the enemy. For the Trinity lives within our hearts. And God, I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will use the words that I have uh, prepared. Lord, we prepare, but you can change anything you want to change as I go about uh, speaking these words. But Lord, I want you to be glorified above all. I want you to be lifted up. 
I want people to see that you're still a miracle-working God. That you're still on the throne. That you're still healing diseases and sicknesses. And that there's nothing beyond your capability. Lord, bless now and anoint in Jesus' name. Amen. Count it all joy. Well, I guess I must be the most in, uh, joyful person in the world. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. God has been good to me. Uh, there's a few words here. He says, uh, divers temptations. And uh, that normally I stick straight with the King James, okay? But I don't like that word temptations there. That, that should be altogether a different word. And in the <clears throat> Bible in basic English, <clears throat> it says, let it, all, let it be all joy to you, my brethren, when you undergo tests of every sort. Of every sort. You know, if you haven't undergone a test, you will. I, I hate to say that, but that's true. Because in testing us, there's where God finds out what's really in our hearts. He finds out how strong our faith really is. And He never tempts us to sin. He always gives us a means of escape. We can get through these trials. And because your faith is more precious than gold, the only way that he can perfect faith is by bringing trials. How many of you have ever prayed for more faith? <laughs> Don't pray for faith unless you want some trials. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11 says this, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So for the last two years I've been being exercised. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how much you know of what's taken place, but two weeks ago when I was here, uh, Becky brought her daughter over to me and she said, I wanted my daughter to meet you because she prays for you every day. And I wanted her to see what her prayers are doing. So if you've got children that's praying for me, be sure to point me out before I leave because I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> All right? 
I, I was so pleased that she's teaching her children to pray. Uh, I don't know how you overcome trials and tribulations and tests in your life, but I'd like to share with you what took place in my life, how I looked to these things. When I was in the hospital in Rochester, there was a, there was a man who was a, <clears throat> a layman in the uh, Lutheran church, and he came once a week faithfully and would pray with me and talk with me and try to encourage me. And so, as I was getting better, I, I wanted to thank him for coming. I don't care what denomination they are. I'll take all the prayers I can get. I had Catholic priests there praying for me. <clears throat> and I'll take all the prayer I can get. <laughs> so, uh, he said, I, I thanked him for coming on the, being so faithful and praying for me and he said I should be thanking you he said because the reason I've been coming is I wanted to see how a man of faith faces these kind of situations how many of you know people are watching to see how you're going to handle it so I'm going to give you how I handled it. You can take some notes on it. I'll share some of my testimony with you. So you might want to write some things down. When I start going, having a test, a trial, the first thing I do is I begin to question. And then I begin to examine. And then I search the Word. And I pray over the Word, and I pray the Word, and I pray, to, pray every chance I get. I get everybody else involved in prayer. Uh, I can't tell you the number of people that's been praying for me over the last two years. Uh, I understand Dottie went down to Jamaica. No? Where's Dottie? Dottie Garrett? Where are you? Here is a prayer warrior. And she's been praying for me for the last two years. What's that? I know. And I'm glad of that too. <laughs> But you begin to recognize the value of prayer. Um, I began to search and question. And the first question I asked myself, have I sinned? How many of you know that sin separates from God? And I want to I want to stay where the blessings of God are. And so I begin to search, is there sin in my life? And I, I begin to pray, 
Oh God, search me and see if there be any wicked ways in me. Reveal it to me. Help me to, to uh, uh, get rid of these things if, if I have these things in my life. You know, God is so good. He said that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the, the uh, problem is many of us are blindsided. We can see everybody else's sin, <laughs> but we don't see ours. So, about the only way you can really get it revealed to you is to ask somebody <laughs> or go to God. And I, I suggest you go to God and ask Him. And through the Holy Spirit, He will reveal to you sin in your life. You'd be surprised, some of the things that you think were good weren't so good. And then <clears throat> I begin to ask the question, am I out of the will of God? You know, he, he promised that I'd hear a voice behind me saying, this is the way walk ye in it. Uh, however, most of this began to happen about the time I resigned my church in Seneca Falls. <laughs> so, so I began to wonder, you know, what, am I out of the will of God? I know God doesn't punish you, but when you're out of the will of God, you might be eating garbage with the pigs like uh, the prodigal son. So, uh, it's good to check and see, am I out of the will of God or not? And then the third question I ask myself, do I have some wrong attitudes? It's so easy to have wrong attitudes. Pride. Uh, anger unforgiveness, and the list goes on. And so I suggest that people do this on a regular basis, really. Begin to search your soul and see, is, is there any wicked ways in me? Uh, is there something I need to change in my life? James 5, uh, 1 verse 5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall, not maybe, it shall be given him. So it's in the same context with this test. So if you want wisdom about why the test? Then what better place to go than to ask God? <clears throat> so let's go to Job. How many of you read Job? Job is a 
story that uh, it's a sad situation. Starting with verse 1, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Let's stop there for a moment because there's some things here. This is an introduction to the whole book of Job. He's introducing the book of Job. And first of all, there was a man in the land of Uz. How many know where Uz is? I used to know where Uz was. Uz. Well, I had to look it up. I'll tell you the truth. I'm glad that there's, there's commentaries and and um, Bible dictionaries and, and Bible encyclopedias and different things where you can look and find out these things. Now, <clears throat> some people say that it's northeast of Palestine and in the land of Arabia. Some people say it's southeast of Palestine. In Arabia. And then I found one that said it's just east. Well, I kind of think it's where about where Jordan would be. And this man, we find that his name was Job. And Job, it's one of the Every name in the Bible seems to have a, uh, a meaning to it that uh, kind of goes along with the situation he was in. And Job means one, that, uh, one who weeps or cries. So we got this man that weeps and cries. And if you read the book of Job, you'll find out why. First of all, he owned all these cattle. He had, uh, I think it was ten children. Uh, he had oxen. He had, uh, he had a great household. He was one of the richest men in the East. And he feared God. He lived according to the light that he had. And that's why he was called perfect. He was living up to what he knew to be right. <laughs> that word eschewed means that he just kind of, um, <clears throat> like when you sneeze, ah, shoot. You know, it, it, it's, it's kind of put it away from you. <laughs> and so uh, he was one of these men that, that kind of got away from things that were evil. Uh, he tried to live a righteous life. And then one day, the accuser of the brethren comes before God, and God says to Satan, where have you been? 
He said, oh, I've been on the earth walking up and down. And he said, uh, have you considered my servant Job? Well, Satan said, well, you've fenced him in. You, you've got him all, you, you've blessed him. And, uh, but if you'll take away the hedges, <laughs> and then uh, take away his wealth and stuff, he'll curse you. And so we find that, first of all, he lost his cattle his wealth. He lost his family. Can you imagine losing all your children? I can't even imagine losing one. I don't want to. But he lost all of his children. And then that wasn't enough for Satan because Job in at the end of... Uh, He said, uh, he said uh, <clears throat> naked I came into the world and naked I'm going to leave the world. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, he's lost everything. And he's still blessing God. And Satan says, yeah, but skin for skin, meaning if you hurt him in his body, then he'll curse you to your face. Well, God says, okay. <clears throat> you know, Job was never asked either time when Satan goes up there and asks permission of God, and God says, if you uh, consider my servant Job, he was never asked do you want to go through this trial? God chose it. And I, I think if I was Job about there, I'd say, <clears throat> just a minute, there's other people on the earth besides me. <laughs> but he got boils all over his body. And he was in such misery that he would scrape himself with a pot shed, which is a broken pitcher. And he'd sit in ashes. And if that wasn't enough, I think that he was not only affected outwardly in his body, but I think he was affected in his mind and in his conscience by the sharp uh, attitudes of his wife and his beautiful friends. His wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? Good advice, right? <laughs> and his friends were miserable comforters. They were so sure that he had sin in his life.
that that's why God was doing these things to him. And you know, there's many reasons why God does things, and we don't have all the answers. <clears throat> it said he was holy, and I got to go along with that. He was, he was trying very hard. But I want you to go over to Job 10. You could, you could read the whole chapter, and maybe you should later, but I want to point out one verse, verse 2. Because show me, show me wherefore thou condemnest or contendest with me. Why are you, why is this happening to me is what he's saying to God. And I had just finished reading over in James that if you need wisdom ask God. So I began to say God why is this happening to me? And I still don't have all the answers, but I, I know that he's perfecting me. He's making me fit for the kingdom. Charles Spurgeon said, Afflictions are often the black foil in which God does set the jewels of his children's grace. Want me to say that again? Afflictions are often the black foil in which God does set the jewels of his children's graces. Real growth in grace is a result of sanctified trials. If we're ever going to grow in grace, and you know, when I came out of that coma back in April of 2000, the first thing that crossed my mind was grace. I knew it was God's grace that I was alive. Trials will give more compassion to your life. I think I shared this here before, but I don't know how many of you were here, so I'll just share a little of it. <clears throat> uh, in March of 2000, uh, my lungs turned completely white with viral pneumonia, and then it went downhill from there. I went into congestive heart failure, and from congestive heart failure, uh, I went into uh, kidney failure because they were trying to get the water off my system. I had uh, all this water around my heart, and I had multi-system shutdown. 
That means everything was beginning to close down. Uh, most people say, well, it's time to arrange a funeral. <laughs> but I had people praying for me. I had people that wouldn't give up. I had a district superintendent that came in and he expected that he was going to pray for me and I was going to get up, I guess. Uh, but he, he prayed for me and my presbyter prayed for me and, and pastors came by to pray for me. Uh, churches all over the nation, different churches were praying for me. Uh, my uh, nephew out in uh, California, he got a hold of a, a radio program or a, that was uh, being beamed around the world and he asked them to pray for me. So there was lots of prayer going on. And I believe that God heard those prayers. And so I woke up after six weeks and my muscle tone was completely gone. Uh, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't even turn over in bed. I couldn't lift a glass of water. They'd bring in a pitcher of water, set it there for me, and all I could do is look at it because I couldn't, couldn't pour it. And if I could pour it, I couldn't lift a glass. Uh, I can remember walking with a walker and... Uh, I took three steps and I was praising God for those three steps. And then I would set a go another goal, tomorrow, six. <laughs> and the next day, I'm going to go to the door of my room. I'm going to be able to go to the bathroom by myself. I'm going to be able to walk down to the nurse's station. And finally, they sent me to rehab. And I was in a wheelchair. And I would walk with a walker, get around in a wheelchair. And then with a cane. And the last time I came here and gave my testimony, I was walking with that cane. Well, as you can see, I'm a miracle. Even a couple of doctors have stated that fact. The doctor that sent me to Rochester from Geneva, New York, when I came back to Geneva, he walked in, and I was sitting on the bed, edge of the bed, and I smiled at him and said, hi. He says, I don't believe it. He said, I never expected to see you again, and here you are sitting up, uh, smiling and laughing. <laughs> he said, uh, it's beyond belief. He said, you're a miracle. He didn't expect me to come, come back again. That's what he told me. And You'd think that was enough, but there's more to it. 
But intercessory prayer is the thing that I learned is so important. Thank God for those who intercede for their pastors. Churches who get behind their pastors and pray for them daily. Uh, Then I learned a lot about personal prayer. I learned a whole lot about personal prayer. You'd think uh, after 26 years now, I would know all there is to know about prayer, but that's not true. I'm still learning. Uh, We're being changed from glory to glory. We go from strength to strength. And during these trials, I learned some things about prayer. First of all, I learned that I have to go to the scriptures. You see, God speaks to me through the Holy Spirit and through his word. I speak to God through prayer. So if I want to hear God's answers, the best place to go is to the Bible. And you don't just go through the Bible and say, that's the answer. You begin to search the scriptures. You begin to try to understand like Daniel did. And in 2 Corinthians uh, verse 1, or chapter 1 and verse 2, It says, for all of the promises of God in him are yea and in him, amen. All of the promises. All of the promises from Genesis to Revelation. All of the promises in him are yea and amen. Now, I found that these promises become so much sweeter to you when when you need promises. And all of a sudden you say, how come I never looked up these promises before? (laughs) Then I'd have something to draw on. Well, I think that we uh, are too busy in life. But if you go to Isaiah chapter... 43 and verse 25 God says put me in remembrance let us plead together declare thou that thou mayest be justified God wants us to take the word and remind him of it God, you said, (laughs) this is your word. Therefore, by your stripes, I was healed at the cross. It's a part of the atonement. And I want to see healing. You can't demand it. (laughs) But you can remind him of it. We can argue this together. That's what he's saying, right? 
put him in remembrance. Uh, so, let me show you how this works. Now maybe, and I, I'm just kind of guessing that there's someone in here that's really been going through trials. And it might not be physical trials, but you've been going through it. You've, you've really been through the mill. And you've come to the point where you're saying, God, enough. I'm ready to throw in the towel. Well, I want to tell you something. There's hope for you this morning. It reminds me of an email that I got just a couple of days ago. There was a girl who wanted to commit suicide. And her mother said to her, I want you to come out in the kitchen with me. I got something I want to show you. And she took out three pots and she put water in them and she put them on the fire and started them boiling. And she put in the first pot some carrots. In the second pot, uh, if I can remember what it was, oh, eggs. She put some eggs in the second pot. And in the third pot, she put a co some coffee beans. After they came to a boil, she took them off the stove and she said to her daughter, what do you observe? And she said, well, the carrots are kind of flexible. You know, when you're in hot water, you can get used to it. Just kind of roll with the punches. Become flexible. The second thing is the boiled egg. And though it was, it was fluid inside, it had a soft shell, it became hard. And that's the way with a lot of people. They're soft and they're tender, but when they get into hot water, they become hardened. But then they went, she went to the one with the coffee beans, and she noticed that the water had changed color. And she said, you see, the coffee bean has the ability inside of it to change the water. We have the ability inside of us to change situations. We do not have to give up. And that's uh, the lesson that I've learned. Don't, don't give up till God gives up. <laughs> and God's not going to give up. Hallelujah. And so if you came in here this morning and you're feeling faint and you're feeling weary, and you're feeling like the world has collapsed, uh, first thing you need to do is find a, a promise.
So, if you will go to uh, Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 and verse 29. It says, He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, He increaseth strength. I can't tell you how many times I've had to say, God, you are my strength and my redeemer. And when I was trying to get out of the bed or turn over in the bed, I said, God, you're my strength. You're my redeemer. You're my savior. You're everything to me. And I need your strength and your power now. And he would. He would give me the strength and the power I needed. And so you begin to pray this word back to him. God, it says right here. <laughs> it says it right here. That you give power to the faint. So if there's someone in here this morning that's Feeling that way, God will give you the power to change the water, not let the water change you. Because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And then, let's say, I'll give you another example. Let's say that you're seeking after Christ. You're here this morning. You don't know Christ. You've just uh, been invited to this church. You're looking to uh, find a relationship with Christ. Or maybe you've been backslidden and you're, look, you're looking to get back to Christ. You've, you're looking for a closer relationship with Christ. You know, you can be in a spiritual congregation like this and uh, you feel, well, I'm not as spiritual as that one or as spiritual as that one and, and uh, you feel sorry for yourself. But I want to tell you, you can be as spiritual as you want to be because God will see to it. Draw nigh unto him, and he will draw nigh unto you. And it, uh, the promise would be in Matthew 5, 6. <clears throat> it says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. Now, if you're in here this morning and you're spiritually starved and you want a, a new touch from God, you're blessed because at least you know your hunger. And God will fill you to overflowing. You need the Holy Spirit? God is more than willing to baptize the Holy Spirit this morning. You don't go by age, creed, or color. Anyone 
can have as much as they want. Now, one more example, then we'll go on with my testimony here a little bit. <clears throat> Maybe you're here and you feel loaded down with sin and grief or guilt. You know, it, it amazes me how people can sit in church and feel full of guilt and the answer is right here. And the promise is in verse, uh, chapter 43, verse, verse 25. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out the transgression of my own, for my own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Isn't that neat? If you don't have that marked out in your Bible, you ought to do that. He, does, he forgives our sin for his own sake. He blots them out. Most people today don't, don't go back as far as the fountain pen and the ink blotters. <laughs> but the ink blotters used to take the ink that was spilled and kind of suck it right up. And that's what Jesus does, just kind of eradicates it. So if you're here and you've got sin and guilt in your life, you can claim this verse. You can say, God, you said that you would forgive me for your own sake. And I'm here to confess my sins. And you said if I would confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You said you'd not remember them anymore. And I'll tell you, Part of our problem is that we've got a memory. God forgives and forgets, but we don't. Going back to my personal testimony, after June of 2000, I was left with kidney failure, and I had to go on dialysis. So I was on dialysis three times a week. I'd sit there in a chair for four and a quarter hours, and they would exchange my blood. It would go through the machine, take out some of the toxins, and then return it to my body. This can get old fast. And I didn't know how I felt about transplants. I didn't know, I, I, I could probably, I felt I could probably go along with, with taking one from a cadaver, uh, an accident victim, uh, but to take one from a live donor, I didn't know. What, what if something happened to that person after they gave me their kidney? So I began to pray about it, and it only took me about a year, almost a year and a half, to really get with the program. My niece called, and she said, why can't I give you a kidney? And I 
By that time, God had said to me, if you as much as give a glass of cold water in my name, you will not lose your reward. And I said, honey, you can if you want to. Get checked out. See if we're a match. And if you want to give one, God will reward you. Well, in October, October the 17th, I went into the hospital to get a kidney. It was only supposed to be five days. She was supposed to uh, she was supposed to get her kidney out laparoscopically, and uh, she'd be home in a couple days. Well, she went home, but in the recovery room, I had a heart attack. And so then they were going to do a angiogram on me, but the kidney is planted here in the front, so they couldn't go up through the right femoral artery, so they went up through the left. And when they did, there was so much plaque in that artery that it crumbled. So then I had to have femoral artery repair. Then after the femoral artery repair, they did a five-way bypass. They found that on the back side of my heart, there was one that was pretty close to closed, and the other four needed to be bypassed. And I had had a, a, a test in, in the middle of September, a, a stress test, and they said everything was all right. <laughs> However, the, I found out that the stress tests aren't all that foolproof. If you got all the arteries on the same side of the heart that are messed up, they'd assume they were all okay. Do we have any nurses here? And then you know what I'm talking about? Okay. <clears throat> but the real problem was that they didn't want to lose the new kidney. And they're gonna ha they had to put me on a, on a machine to pump my blood while they, they're playing with my heart. And so I come pretty near losing it. I really did. The doctors uh, were amazed. They said, it's just simply amazing. You're... Your kidney took so many hits, and yet it survived it all. It's a good thing that you have a strong woman's kidney. <laughs> so, uh, I went back to the doctors. Uh, I, I went back to the hospital twice after that with pneumonia. So, Instead of getting out in five days, I got out Christmas Eve. And I must have made some kind of history up in Livingston at uh, um, St. Barnabas Hospital because uh, all the doctors 
were talking about it. And this one doctor, Dr. Shaw, was a uh, woman from India, uh, an Indian descent anyway. And when I came in, she said, for, for the checkup, she said, do you remember me? Well, I had met her when I was coming out of all these, all this rigmarole. And she said, well, I said, yes, I remember you. And she said, well, I remember you too. She said, the first time I ever seen you, you were witnessing to me about your faith. And she said, I, I can definitely say it's your faith and your positive outlook in life that has brought about this miracle. So you don't know how many people you witnessed to, how many of those doctors uh, saw the truth, how many nurses might have saw the truth. The main thing is in life is that you glorify God. And so, I count it all joy. <laughs> Did I get discouraged at all? Yeah, there was days. There was times when I was feeling kind of useless <laughs> because I didn't want to retire. However, I did find a couple of promises for myself after I came out to the hospital the second time. And they're found in uh, Psalm 27:14. the first one. It says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. I said, Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'll, I'll accept that one. Just wait on the Lord. Uh, wait, I say, on the Lord, is what it tells us. 